0: Father, we do come to your throne uh, as needy people, Father. Um, Lord, we never know what to expect. Every day is new. And Lord, uh, our hearts are are heavy this week as we think about the Westfall family. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, bring a special encouragement. And Lord, we just thank you that Jesus is our friend. Um, Jesus is our shepherd that we can rely on, that we can lean on. Father, you never leave us or forsake us. And we just cling to you. We cling to the, the promise of your word. Um, we thank you that we have hope in Jesus, that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, in February, we shared our vision for using different ministry areas to serve women and family at Creekside. Uh, We created four specific ministry teams to focus on the areas of need, service, community, and growth. So our four teams are the care team, the fellowship team, hospitality team, and the spiritual enrichment team. So I'm gonna talk real briefly about each team and its purpose. Our care team is made up of women who enjoy participating in celebrations and caring for others in times of need. Our care team provides practical support for Creekside individuals and family experiencing major life events. This team is there for the highs and lows of life and the areas of service include home delivered meals, bridal and baby showers and bereavement support. The women's ministry fellowship team is made of women who love planning events and creating reasons to get together with the girls. This is the party planning team. Our fellowship team seeks to build unity among women at Creekside through fellowship events. We want to create opportunities for women to come together to have fun, build relationships, and connect with one another. This team also works alongside other Creekside ministries to assist in event planning. So, such as the Easter egg hunt or the 4th of July, we would help with those. The Women's Ministry Hospitality Team is made up of women who have hearts for service and a welcoming spirit. This team provides fabulous food and refreshments during women's ministry events and all church events. These women are wonderful at ensuring that members of Creekside and guests feel welcome. Some areas of service include potluck, special events, and Sunday morning coffee. And our last team is called the Spiritual Enrichment Team. And it's made up of women who lovingly provide opportunities for spiritual growth, encouragement, and community at Creekside. The Spiritual Enrichment Team has provided opportunities such as Women's Bible Study, Ladies Coffee and Fellowship, and Clio. And we look forward to starting up new ministries this fall. Are you unsure about leading, but would love to come alongside other women to support these ministries? Don't be intimidated by the purpose of this team. There are so many ways to be involved without taking on a leadership role. We need leaders and teachers as much as we need women to support and pray for our leaders and teachers. We are so blessed at Creekside to have so many faithful workers to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are excited to see the ways in which the Lord brings our hearts and lives together and builds up this community of beautiful women. Please know that you do not have to be a part of any of these teams. Uh, to be a part of women's ministry at Creekside. All women are welcome to our events, studies, and gatherings. And if you would like any more information about women's ministry, uh, talk to Karen and I. We would love to talk with you. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Carrie. And good morning and welcome to Creekside. Um, This is week two in our series on race, justice, and government. Um, I just want to read one verse Uh, You don't need to turn to it before we pray. It says, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that He, through His work on the cross, brings us together. Thank you that we're here this morning, that your spirit's here this morning. We just have a sense of the, the unease, of the the disunity, of strife. Our political situation is very divided. We have racial and social issues in our country and in our world we have health concerns there's fires lord that people have loved ones who are in danger and property in danger and here lord in our midst we've we've got our sister marge mckeever and her health concerns eleanor gray we think of the westfall family this morning and their grief we just thank you, God, that you are in control and that you have a plan and that your plan revolves around Jesus and brings us into blessing through him. And so this morning, as we open your word, I just ask that you would encourage our hearts, that you would lift us up, that our eyes would be turned to you. I pray for the world around us, that we would be faithful in presenting Christ, Christ crucified, the hope of of all mankind. So I just ask that you would open our ears to hear what your spirit would say to us as Creek Side this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Well I'm not a, a fashion expert, not even an amateur by any means and that's been you know kind of a struggle that Debbie's had sometimes over the last 26 years or so just trying to make sure that I at least look presentable getting out of the house. And so there's Really, just over these 26 years, there's only one thing that I've learned about fashion. And Debbie has has made it simple, and she's repeated it, and I remember it. I don't always know how to apply it, but she says, contrast is good. You know, a tan shirt, tan pants, tan belt, tan shoes, great plan for me. It matches, right? But no, contrast is good. And so it is with us. Contrast is good. God has made us different. You look around the world, look around this room, and even on the surface we see differences. But those differences make us more beautiful. I think, uh, you know, when I worked at Wellmark, there were a number of individuals from India that worked there. And they would celebrate a holiday called Diwali. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But they had a tremendous spread of food, and they would all go out on the front steps of the building and get a group picture taken and that's the most colorful picture of a group of professionals that i've ever seen and i thought many times as i looked down and saw that picture getting taken i thought that's cool i wish i could dress like that i think um, i'm not really that brave to be a, a trendsetter um, i'm not that wise to make it look good either but Colored diversity is beautiful. We wouldn't want to look outside and see everything the same. And we wouldn't want to look in our homes and see everything the same. And we wouldn't want to look around our church and see everyone the same. So this morning we're going to talk about the subject of unity in diversity. um, And the plan, the purchase, and the power of God to bring unity in the face of our diversity. So, Steve talked last week about the fact that God has made us diverse, and that's good. And it it actually is part of the image of God. The Trinity has diverse roles, yet they act as one, as we're going to see this morning. Um, We were created in the image of God. God said, let us create man in our image. Male and female, he created them. And... There's another diversity, you know? I mean, how, sometimes you wonder, you know, how, how, how did we communicate? That's awesome that we understood each other the same, but it, it can happen. God created us diverse. So we also saw that Christ provides a path to reconciliation. So this week I want to talk about the fact that the way to true and lasting unity is God's way. And that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are involved in the plan, the purchase, and the power of unity in the church, which can affect the world around us to bring unity as well, in spite of our diversity. In fact, this morning, if I was going to make a placard to march with, I would make a sign that says, no trinity, no unity. Because without God, there is no lasting unity. I don't know how that would go over, but that would be my sign. No Trinity, no unity. And we're going to look at Ephesians, and and like Steve, I'm more comfortable looking at a few verses, you know, and digging in and, and figuring out what those verses are. But this morning, we're going to kind of spread over the book of Ephesians primarily, and I promise that I have tried very hard to make sure I'm not taking any verses out of context to fit what I'm trying to say, but I think... You know, the book of Ephesians, I've had several opportunities to study it over the last couple of years, and I'm just kind of in awe of the way it's laid out. And there's a lot of building blocks in Ephesians, and there's a lot of uh, transition words like uh, therefore, or because of, or for this reason, or because of this, in order that, just, Ephesians just full of it. So as I started, I started in chapter 4, which really gives us the first 16 verses, the picture of how unity and growth comes about in the church of God, and I I traced it back, um, and I I settled on a starting point for that um, in chapter 1. But before I, I, well, while you're turning to chapter 1, if you could, we're just going to think a little bit about the church in Ephesus and the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was uh, kind of a center and a hub for culture. It was under Roman rule, uh, but it was very, very diverse in its racial background and its religious background. The church itself in Ephesus was made up of Jews and Gentiles, um, people from backgrounds of worshiping Jehovah, people from backgrounds of worshiping Uh, Diana the goddess of the Ephesians Artemis and so they had come together in this church from this city and Paul was praising them for their faith and their love for each other so they had evidently found the answer of unity in the face of diversity so that's why we kind of settled on Ephesians as a good book to look at for this subject of unity in the face of our diversity So chapter 4 shows us how to walk in unity, but the preceding chapters lay the foundation for our unity and portray the diverse roles of the Trinity. So the Father, and we can go to the next slide here, the Father has always had a plan for unity. The Son paid the price for unity, and the Spirit is the power of unity in the church. So chapter 1, verse... Verses 9 and 10 say, God is making known to us, in verse 9, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, or Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So God's plan for all of time is laid out right here in the first chapter of Ephesians to unite all things in Christ in heaven and on earth. So when God created the universe, it was part of his plan to unite everything under Christ. Christ the head, we get a picture of it uh, at the end of the chapter. It says, Christ the head, the church is his body, and everything else is under his feet. Christ is the center of God's unity. And everything that he's done falls into place in this plan. So when he created Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden and he also put a tree of forbidden fruit, that was part of God's plan to unite all things under Christ. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit and they left the garden and God put an angel so they couldn't go back and take part of the tree of life, that was part of God's plan to unite all things in Christ. When the whole world had fallen into sin, and God sent a worldwide flood and saved eight people out of the whole world. Noah and his family. That was part of God's plan to unite all things in Christ. When the whole world was one language and one nation and began to build a tower that was going to go up to heaven, and God looked down and said, They're not gonna, nothing's going to be able to stop them. And so he gave them various languages, And turn them into various nations. That was part of God's plan. To unite all things together in Christ. When he called out Abraham. From his family of idolaters. To be a worshiper of Jehovah. That was part of God's plan. To unite all things in Christ. When he called Jacob. To be the father of a great nation. Part of God's plan. When he called David. You know the the shepherd boy. To be king over Israel. To be the uh, forefather of God's Messiah, the King of Israel. That was part of his plan to unite all things in heaven and earth in Christ. When God sent his son into this world as a man to live in this sinful world, a holy, spotless one, and he allowed him to be placed on the cross by cruel, evil men and die. He died for our sins that was part of God's plan to unite all things together in Christ when the father on the third day rose Jesus up from the grave alive and then 40 days later he brought him into heaven and sat him at his right hand and gave him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow that was part of God's plan to unite all things together in Christ when God sent his Holy Spirit into this world to indwell the believers on that day of Pentecost to speak in tongues so that all those nations that had been divided and couldn't understand each other on that day heard the truth about Jesus, that is part of God's plan to unite all things together in Christ. This morning, as we sit here grieving loved ones that God has called to heaven, to be with Christ, which is far better. That's part of God's plan to unite all things together in Christ. See, God's plan spans from eternity past to eternity future, and it will come to pass. It will. And there's, as far as I know, there's only three times in, the, in history and in prophecy where the whole world is united. We talked about one of them, and that's when all the people on the earth were focused on building a tower up to heaven. And God came down and he touched that. He gave them various languages. They went different directions. They didn't finish the project. There's going to be a time at the end of, at the end of uh, what Revelation calls the tribulation where all the nations of the earth are going to come together on a united front to fight against Jesus. That's not going to last very long. About until Jesus opens his mouth. Then at the end of the millennial reign, it's going to happen again. Satan's going to be released briefly from hell and he's going to lead all of those who didn't have faith in a united front against Jesus. Again, it's not going to last very long. God is not going to have a unity in anything besides Christ. So I think... I want us to understand, first of all, God has a plan for unity. And any unity that we seek that goes outside of God's plan, that goes outside the principles of God's word, is a unity that will not last. We might get some segment of unity. We might get a, a small group or we might get a large group. But it won't last because it's not God's plan for unity, which is in Christ. Any alliance that we might try to form for unity we need to keep that in mind you know so if that alliance includes um, for example (laughs) dismantling the nuclear family or getting rid of heteronormative thinking and those are kind of big big words but those are our areas of unity that the world seeks to form unity today and it's not going to work it won't work any better than any of the other times that the whole world was or will be united. So our unity needs to be under the plan of the Father. And then this this other verse in uh, chapter 3, I want to jump forward to see the Father's role in our unity. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven And on earth is named so just that expression the father God the father for whom every family on earth and on heaven is named and and there are various interpretations of that but the the one that seems to draw the most consensus that seems like it fits here is that God the father has named every family of faith in him those that have passed on Abraham Jacob Isaac uh, David Noah that are in heaven and the families on earth the families that are represented here people from all nations from every language and and tribe god has named every one of them so he's the source of the nations he's the source of our families and he's the one that has named us and so he wants to unite us in jesus and that's his plan so th- that's another consideration for us as we think about Unity, Because it's very easy for us to rally around some group. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our nation, America. We're thankful for much of of what it has meant to so many of us. But that's not the unity that God is calling us to. There's an idea of globalism. All the world united in one common front living under one policy for the good of the whole world. It's not God's unity. Globalism is not. Nationalism is not. We can, within America, we can identify with parties. You know, we see that uh, just rampant on social media and the news, even news reports are coming from the direction of an affiliation with a party. That's not God's unity. That's not God's unity. In fact... If there is no Trinity, there is no unity. So let's look then at the role of the Son in unity. Um, and the Son is the one who made the payment for our unity. So we're going to go back to chapter two. And chapter two of Ephesians, Paul is talking to the specifically he's talking to the Gentiles in the church there. And the Gentiles. Are the ones that Paul was particularly sent to he is an apostle he had a, a mission a particular mission from God to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles Paul was a Jew he didn't really like Gentiles before Jesus but God sent him to the Gentiles and so he is talking specifically uh, to the Gentiles here but then in verse uh, 13 it says but now In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, meaning the Gentiles, they didn't have a relationship with God, once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, meaning Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what's the payment or the purchase for unity? It's the cross of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus because you see, our problem with a lack of unity comes from our sin. As Steve pointed out last week, it's a sin problem that I can't get along with you and you can't get along with your neighbor and we can't get along with our neighboring country and we can't get along in the world. We can't get along in the church. We can't get along in our marriage. That's a sin problem. But Jesus dealt with sin on the cross. Jesus paid the price. He purchased peace with God because our sin problem flows from the fact that we have a broken relationship with God and so first of all he had to reconcile us as we saw um, as we read there that he reconciled us both to God verse 16 both Jew and Gentile who were at odds who didn't agree had to be first reconciled to God And if we are not first reconciled to God, we are not going to accomplish unity in this world with our neighbors, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters, our family. We're not going to accomplish unity apart from the cross and the blood of Jesus. So Jesus is the one who paid the price. But there's something interesting here um, at the beginning of of chapter 2. Um, well, and even what we read, that the Gentiles were far off. So Paul identifies them with their birth nationality, if you will. And he says, your, your nation was far off from God. And we see, too, when, when uh, Stephen preaches to the Jews, um, and, and Peter and Paul, when they preach to the Jews, they say, look, your nation killed the prophets in the past. They didn't listen to the messengers of God, and you're responsible for that. You did the same thing to Jesus. So, you know, we we can identify in a positive way sometimes with our country or with our, our heritage, but in all of those human alliances, there are things that have not been right. Whether you want to look at America, I have German heritage, you know, whatever heritage you might have as a human being, there are blessings associated with that, and there are curses associated with that. There are things we learned in our history classes that were done by the United States government that were sinful, and they were ungodly. There were things that were done that were godly, that were appropriate. And we're thankful for the good and we can acknowledge the bad because when those sinful things happen, it creates a breach between people. If we can't acknowledge that breach, it's going to be very hard to heal that breach. So I just want to encourage myself as a white American that all of my heritage is not pure. But that doesn't mean That I can't have unity with those who suffered the sins of my ancestors, if you will. And to ignore that fact will create problems as I try to bring healing in the diversity of our nation. Paul does it here with the Gentiles. Identifies them with the, the shortcomings of their past. He did it with the Jews too. There's problems that need to be acknowledged doesn't mean we can fix it. We can't change the past. But we can be honest about our heritage. There are also these areas of hostility between the people, between Jews and Gentiles in the case of Ephesus that are broken down in the cross. Because, you know, if for me to be reconciled to God requires the death of God's Son at the hands of wicked men, And the punishment of god against his own son on the cross i have no standing to look at a fellow human being for any reason for their race for their culture for their sin and say i'm better than you and that's at the heart of racism when we look at somebody and for their race we say i'm better than you because of my race If we acknowledge what's happened at the cross, that God the Son had to die for our sins, then we have no standing to look at anybody for any reason and say, I'm better than you. But we can bring that gospel of reconciliation to them. And that's our our responsibility as those who have been redeemed. So let's look now at the Spirit. We've talked about the role of the Son and the role of the Father in unity, and what is the role of the Spirit. So let's turn to chapter 4. And I think I may have mentioned a time or two or a dozen times that these first 16 verses of Ephesians 4 are my favorite verses about the church of God because I think they have the key to a lot of things in them. And so I... Am I'm disappointed that I don't have an hour to go into these 16 verses but you are all thankful that I don't have an hour to go into these 16 verses so I again I'm going to be very brief with this and I, I would really encourage us all to personally study these first 16 verses and consider where am I in this chapter what does God want to do with me in this chapter but let's start With verses 2 and 3 to look specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit says with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace so the indwelling Spirit of God that comes into every believer when we by faith receive Jesus as our Savior that spirit produces fruit in our lives. And, and we get that in Galatians 6, specifically named the nine fruits of the Spirit. I'll try to name them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things come out of us when the Spirit of God is free to move in us. And so some of those things we see here, it says humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another in love. Now, those are very interesting uh, things that need to come out of us in order for unity to be on display in the church. Because you know what that says? That says that for you to get along with me, you're going to have to have patience. You know, I'd like to think you don't need patience to get along with me, but you do. The better you know me, the more patience you need. Um, We need humility. Humility. There was a little too much laughter on that, I think. (laughs) We need humility to get along with each other. We need to treat each other with gentleness. And we need to bear with one another in love. You know what that tells me? It tells me it's not easy to walk in unity in the church. And God knows it's not easy. And so if we think about our church life and our participation in church life, and we think boy, I've never had to be patient, I've never had to be humble, I've never had to put up with anybody, then something might be wrong with your church life. Maybe it's non-existent, or maybe we're with people that are a little too much like ourselves. Right? Because the church of God is not homogenous, it's not monochrome, it's not all the same color, it's not all the same culture. Jesus when we get to the end of Matthew, we're going to see that he sent us into all the nations of the world to teach people to be his disciples. All the nations comes with a lot of differences that we're not used to, things we're not comfortable with. And, I, and this is very arbitrary, but I read in a book about a pastor that said, if you're more than 75% comfortable at church, then there might be a problem with the church you're going to and I thought well that's kind of arbitrary but that's kind of interesting and that's kind of borne out in the fact that we need patience humility and bearing with each other in love to show the unity of the church but we're not on our own for that we have the spirit of God and the spirit of God is the one that gives us the power to walk in unity with one another. So we need to walk um, in a way that allows the Spirit of God to flow out from us. And then that unity is empowered, the power of the Spirit of God. So again, we see, without the Trinity, there is no unity. Without the Trinity, there is no unity. And any unity that we might find without God is going to be fleeting at best. And it's going to gloss over things that are undermining unity between people. So it's also this bond, uniting bond of peace, and a bond means that we're together, not separate. So we need to consider that too, as, as we live our life in the church, are we together? Are we separate? Are we, are we going here and there based on where we're comfortable? Or is the Spirit of God what binds us together, because he will if we let him. So I want to look just briefly, too, at at what does that look like and what is the roadmap to unity in the church. And so I'm going to read those first 16 verses and then just point out a few things in this passage that I think um, help us see what it looks like to have unity in the face of our diversity. So just starting from verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each, and notice that word but in verse 7 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up, that it builds itself up in love. So, our bond is God. And so, Here we see this this pattern here that we have a calling that involves a lot of ones. We believe the same thing about our salvation. We believe the same thing about God and about our condition. And we have this one faith. We're called by one God. We have an eternal hope as believers in Jesus. We have one baptism. One God, one Father who is over all and through all and in all. So this is pointing back to the truths that we learned earlier in Ephesians about the oneness of our call. And so God has called us in oneness and that should be reflected in the way we see each other and the way we see ourselves. So that's a foundational thing that we recognize our calling and the oneness of our calling. And then we need, as we spoke earlier, let the fruit of the Spirit show and grow in us so that these differences have some oil to put between these parts that naturally have friction. In a car, if you didn't have oil in the engine, it would very quickly burn up and be destroyed. The Spirit of God is like that oil. Yes, there's friction, but if the fruit of the Spirit is present, we're not going to burn up and be destroyed. It might get a little uncomfortable. There might still be some heat, but we will still be functional with the fruit of the spirit and then in verse 7 there's that word but grace and then it starts to talk about here's some differences in you okay god when jesus ascended he sent the spirit down who brought gifts of the spirit to every single believer and your gift and my gift are different and so use your gift i was just noticing this morning i've noticed the last couple weeks down here there is, I believe, a a drumstick, you know, between layers on the stage. And evidently, this stage would be crooked if it weren't for that drumstick being there. It doesn't really look like that was what it was made for, right, Brent? I mean, (laughs) drumsticks are not in the shims department at Menards, but it's working, and it's making this stage a little more level, I'm assuming. I I remember a a couple years ago when that screen back there was not working. And someone said, well, did you get it working? And again, someone said, yeah, Brent's drumstick is in there. I didn't think they were serious, but then I saw it. Sure enough, Brent's drumstick is, is in there keeping the wire straight. So we need every member in the body of Christ because there's areas that of blindness. There's areas of inability. There's areas of ignorance that each of us has it needs to be supplemented by each other. That's how God designed the church. He gave each of us a different gift. So use your gift. Use your gift. Do you know what your gift is? It would be a good thing to do, to study, to pray, to maybe ask some people around you, what do you think my gift is? And then try it out, if you're not already. Many, so many of you are, I realize that. Uh, but, but try it out. See how God uses you maybe you got it wrong maybe you, you've got the maybe you're a drumstick though that's making a stage even and so sometimes it's not comfortable right but use your gift get equipped it says in verse 12 that god gave evangelists those that spread the gospel well it's apostles those that were foundational in the church gave us the word of god the truth of god about the the church and jesus Um, he gave prophets to make that applicable to us to tell us about the future he gave evangelists those that go out and spread the gospel to the lost around us he gave us shepherds who care for our souls who try to keep us close to god who see needs that we have see needs for comfort see needs for correction see needs for feeding who will draw near and do that teachers who explain to us the Word of God some things are hard to understand and some people have the gift of explaining that so that I can understand we need those teachers and they will equip each one of us to do the work of ministry see it's not just a certain group of people that do the work of ministry it's the whole church that does the work of ministry but God has given specific gifts to equip us to enable us to build us up to do that so when you see opportunities to get trained in evangelism, take advantage of that. Take advantage of those gifts. When you, when you hear about a Bible study, it might be uncomfortable, take advantage of it because there's probably gonna be a teacher there that'll help you see the word of God in a new way and so on. And so use your gift, be equipped and know the differences in our different. And what I mean by that is some differences are good and we, get, we, we just talked about those. Our gifts are different. Our backgrounds are different. Our cultures are different. Those are good things because it brings that, that beauty of variety to the church. But there's some differences that aren't so good. And, and it talks about it here. We don't want to be like children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried around by every doctrine that comes along. We start to follow that. And then it turns out that's wrong. We need... To be um, the same in our maturity but we're not and we won't be but we're growing it says uh, growing up in verse 15 in every way to Christ who is the head and so our immaturity our sin we need one another to help us to overcome that as well and so some of the differences are good and some are bad and I'm going to skip the next slide, Chad. It's one that we've, we've seen in the past, but I wanna go for in closing to Revelation chapter seven. Because diversity is not something that's just for this world. Diversity is something that we're going to experience for all eternity. And we get a very clear, plain picture of what that is going to look like in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, and we had this this morning in the first service as well, but it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb this is what it looks like that god has set forth a plan from the beginning before the beginning of time to unite all things in christ people from every nation tongue tribe language are going to be there praising god in the in the same robe they're going to be clothed in the righteousness of god through jesus holy will be holy Different will be different. Singing the same song. Salvation belongs to our God. And so this morning, uh, the band is going to come back up, and we will have some time to reflect. We have a, a loaf and a cup up here, but you should have at your chair a little plastic one with a little wafer in the top and, and juice in the bottom. Take that, remembering the price of unity. Jesus, God's Son, becoming a man going to the cross shedding his blood burying our sins in his body on the cross take that remember jesus as you do so and then stand and sing his praises together and let's give thanks for the cup and the juice now lord jesus thank you that you are willing to pay the purchase price of unity help us to walk in a way that brings honor and glory to you that reflects on earth the unity that you want to have in heaven unity first of all with our god and creator but unity as well with our fellow man with the church of god i just pray that that the ways that we pursue unity would be pure would be according to your plan would be selfless would use our gifts would recognize our need to be equipped I pray that we would pursue you and thus pursue unity and peace with our fellow man. Thank you for this cup. Thank you for this wafer that represents your blood and your body given for us. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. Amen.
0: to seeing you back next week.